If I could summarize John 14 for the purposes of our sermon this morning, I would say this, that Jesus wants us to know how great of a gift the Holy Spirit is. John 14, Jesus' intention is to help us understand how great of a gift the Holy Spirit is. I remember one Christmas morning, uh, my older sister Whitney and my younger brother Wes, um, we woke up on Christmas morning, it was just like the picture perfect Christmas. It's snowing outside, uh, we walk downstairs and the, the tree is lit up, there's gifts scattered all under the tree and we're just ready to like tear into those gifts. And I remember my sister and my brother and I, we opened our first gift and we got some like cowboy boots and we were like really confused because we weren't into cowboy boots, like we didn't ask for cowboy boots and I think we all had like one more gift under the tree and we opened it, we got like a pair of Wranglers and I remember like, I'm so, I, I'm so full of shame over the way I acted, how spoiled I was. But I remember like looking at my dad being like, seriously, dad, like you got me Wranglers? Like you could at least got me Abercrombie jeans. I'm like trying to get a girl and you give me Wranglers. And, and I remember my parents were, they were like, man, just put your boots on. Let's go outside and play in the snow. And the three of us, we were just spoiled rotten, just, just rotten bratty little kids. And we're like, we don't want to go outside. This is the worst Christmas ever. You got us boots and Wranglers. And my parents kept like urging us and they finally convinced us um, to go outside because what my parents knew was that in the backyard, there were horses waiting on us. Yeah, it was amazing. And, uh, <laughs> And I remember walking to the back door and seeing those horses and just, you can't, I can't explain to you how much shame I felt in that moment. And just like looking at my parents going, I'm so sorry, like, I'm such a little brat. And my parents just looked at me and they're like, it is okay, like, we forgive you. Now get on your horse and enjoy the gift. I think for a long time as Christians, we've been guilty of saying things and thinking things like this, if Jesus were only here. I think we've, we've thought things and said this for a long time, man, life would be so much better if I could just see Jesus, if I could just hear his voice, if I could just see his, his tangible presence. And I think what God was stirring in my heart this week in John 14 is that when we think things like this and say things like this, it proves that we haven't understood the gift that God has given to us in the Holy Spirit. We're like little kids sitting around the Christmas tree disappointed and God is trying to, to get us to go outside and to look at the horses in the backyard. He's like wanting us to understand this incredible gift that he's given to us in the Holy Spirit. To behold him, to understand him, to see him, to enjoy him. The next three weeks, we're going to be in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. It's some of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. The book of John is my favorite, favorite book in the Bible. Jesus is literally moments away from being arrested. He's moments away from being sentenced to be crucified. He's moments away where he will be crucified on a Roman cross, publicly, historically. It's in this moment where Jesus is gathered around the 12 apostles. These 12 men that for the past three years had watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw Jesus heal this man who was born blind and all of a sudden he could see after coming in contact with the power of Jesus Christ. They watched as Jesus took five little pieces of bread and fed 10, 12,000 people. 
They watched as Jesus walked on the water and calmed the storm. These men that left everything because of what they believed to be true about Jesus, that he alone was the hope of the world. And Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16, he is preparing his apostles for his departure. This is what he says to them. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. And be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and is in you. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and I'll show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear, they're not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. This is the word of God from John chapter 14. I love this moment. Jesus is sitting around these 12 apostles with Peter and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Judas, the son of James, and, and, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas is scared. He looks at these 12 men that love him dearly, and he says, if you love me, keep my commands. I love it. He has that same conversation with us. He looks at us, and he says, he says Kevin, if you love me, keep my commands. Says, Allison, if you love me, keep my commands. Katie and Chad, if you love me, keep my commands. I appreciate that Jesus allows us to see just how simple it is. He says, if you want to love me, like if you want to show, that, show me that you love me, he says, keep my commands. And I love this about Jesus because he understands our tendency to make things more complicated than they should be. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. You know, when you're in a relationship, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out like how to show them that you love them. I remember when Courtney and I were um, just be, started dating, it was my sophomore year of college, and I learned that, that one of the things that she loved to, to do was to, to get flowers in the mail. And so I would take the little money that I made from being an RA at the school I went to, and as often as I could, I would buy her flowers because I loved when she would go down to, to check her mail and she would have a little slip that said, you have a package waiting for you. And she'd go and pick that package up and she'd unwrap it and there would be flowers. And the, the look on her face brought me so much joy. And throughout the years, I've learned, oh, this is what it looks like to love her. Think about all the ways that she's done that for me. She's, she knows that I'm just, I, I love the color blue, obviously, like I wear it every Sunday. And Kentucky's my favorite team. And so like for every Christmas for about nine years in a row, she got me something Kentucky. <laughs> you know, when it comes to loving Jesus, 
or when it comes to loving our, our husbands or our wives, when it comes to loving our kids or our friends, isn't it true that when we want them to know that they are loved, there's always action, right? That we can have warm feelings in our hearts all day long and we can know that, they, that we love them, but until our feelings are manifested into action, they don't get to tangibly experience our love. And I love this, Jesus, the creator, the savior, the Messiah, he looks at it and says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I go, a lot of us, I know you guys, I, I've been walking in part of this church, I've been walking alongside of you guys for a long time and I know that you love Jesus. And isn't this amazing? This is such incredible news. He's like telling us like, this is what it looks like to, to love me. This is what it looks like to tangibly respond and to show me that you love me. And so we go, great. I do love you, Jesus, so I'm gonna keep your commands this week. I'm gonna show you how much I love you. And I started thinking very practically as I was studying this week, what commands is he talking about? Is he talking about the 10 commandments in Exodus 20? Is he talking about the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7? And it hit me. No, he's like talking about his commands, like from Genesis to Revelation, his teaching. And I read that this week. And I went from this place of incredible joy, of incredible excitement, of this full of zeal to like show Christ how much I love him to this place of like despair and sadness. Because as I look at my life and I evaluate how I've been living, I realize that, that I haven't been like keeping his commands. Like I haven't been proactively thinking about his commands. Like I've been spending time in the word, I've been spending time praying, but, but my mind has not been, man, how can I wake up and, and live for Christ? How can I wake up and, and show him that I love him by following his commands? And then I realized it's not that I just haven't been doing that the past few weeks. Man, I look back on the course of my life and I go, man, when I've tried to do this, how often I fail. I love what Paul writes in Colossians chapter two. He says, be patient and kind. There's so many mornings where I wake up and I'm like, today I'm gonna like, I'm gonna obey that. Like, go to work, have a great day, come home and put the kids to bed, go to sleep. And then at 1 a.m. Finley wakes up and for two hours she cries nonstop. And after the third time going in there to put her down, I am anything but kind and patient. <laughs> I think about Jesus' words to us in Matthew 28 where he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them to obey. And I look at my life and I go, man, I've not been doing any of that. When we realize what Christ is asking of us, no matter how zealous we are to show him that we love him, we go, man, we can't do it. We've not been able to consistently do this. And I go, if this is all that we had, we'd be up a creek. This would be so incredibly depressing, but I love what Jesus follows it with. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And then what does he say? And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And it's in this incredible verse where Jesus takes us to the backyard and he shows us the horses. He wants us to understand this incredible gift that the Holy Spirit is to us. He kind of teaches us two things, that, that he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can live lives for God. He uses this word advocate, or some of your translations, they might have said helper, or some of your translations might have said comforter. 
and the apostles and the people in the first century when they would have heard this word, it's the word parakleton. When they would have heard this word, their minds would have started racing because it was this word that is loaded with meaning and you can't just translate it with one word. That's the reason that all of our Bibles say different things. Over the next few weeks, we're going to really unpack this word parakleton and all that he's trying to teach us about who the Holy Spirit is in our lives. But here when he says the, the advocate, the paracleton, the, the definition of uh, what he's talking about is a paracleton was someone that was an expert in a certain field and someone who came alongside to give you advice. Someone who was an expert in a certain field and someone who came alongside you to give you advice. And I think I want you guys just to, to soak this in. This is so beautiful and so kind and so generous of Jesus. That when he looks at us and he sees people that actually love him, that sees like into the depths of our hearts and sees that, that we actually want to love him, he gives us the Holy Spirit who is an expert in the commands of God who lives inside of us, giving us advice, teaching us how to live out the commands of God. The beginning of the Christian journey is simply the decision to live life for God. Say that again. The beginning of the Christian journey is simply the decision to live life for God. It's the decision that, that you're going to live for God instead of for anything else. Instead of for yourself, instead of for your kids, instead of for your job, instead of for your company. That the decision to follow Christ is simply choosing to live life for Him. I was reading through the book of John this past week and God was just rocking my heart yesterday. As I was reading about the crucifixion of Jesus. He's hanging on the cross as he bows his head and says, it is finished. I was moved yesterday. As he breathed his last and died. I was wondering, what is he talking about? It is finished. What's he talking about? Our sin. Our condemnation in the eyes of God. That the, the distance between God and man, it is finished. That, that Jesus has sealed it. That Jesus has taken care of it. And I go, when we understand that, that Christ left heaven... To come to this world where he was hated and misunderstood and, and brutally crucified on a cross to pay for our sin. The entirety of our sin. So that you and I could be forgiven, so that you and I could, could be in good place with God, so that we could enjoy God. When we understand the fullness of what Christ has done for us, man, the only thing that our hearts beat for is Jesus. When we see Christ for who he is and what he's done, our life's agenda becomes Christ Jesus to live for him and for him alone. And so many days we get this right. Think about how many days I, I wake up and, and I go, today, God, the very first command that you gave us in Exodus chapter 20, you shall have no other gods before me. Today, God, I'm not going to have any other gods before you. I'm not going to worship my job. I'm not going to worship my money. I'm not going to worship the Titans or Sunday afternoon football. Today, you will be my God. 
We're thinking about Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, where Jesus says, do not worry about your life. And I know that you're in this boat with me. How many times we wake up and we go, I have no idea how I'm going to pay for school this year. I have no idea how I'm going to pay my mortgage. I have no idea if I'm ever going to be able to send my kids to college. I have no idea. And yet we look at Matthew chapter 6 and we go, but I'm not going to worry. And in these moments where we should be anxious and nervous because we are choosing to, to submit and surrender our lives to the commands of God, we're choosing to live life for God. Think about Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, where Jesus says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And how many of you, man, you woke up one day and you said, Today I'm going to go for it. I'm going to invite my coworker who doesn't know Jesus to lunch. I'm going to pay for his lunch. I'm going to pay for her lunch. And I'm just going to invite her to church. And so many days we get this right. But there's also a lot of days that we get this wrong, right? Think about how many days instead of living for Jesus, I live for myself. I wake up and the first thing in my mind is, what kind of coffee do I want to drink this morning? <laughs> what am I going to have for lunch? Am I going to have any time with court before we have to go to bed, after we put the kids to bed? It's like, me, 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 me. The beginning of the Christian journey is a decision to live life for God. And when Christ looks into our hearts and he sees people who are actually interested in living for him, who are committed to like living out his commands, living out his ways, he gives us the Holy Spirit. You know, I think so often we feel this pressure to be experts in God, about God. This is a reason that we don't have conversations with people that we know are smarter than us and with people that, that don't love the Lord is because we're afraid that we're going to be in that moment. We're going to look foolish. And I just want to disarm this and, and, and let us know this, that you and I will never be the experts in God. We are not experts. We will never be. But the good news is the Holy Spirit is and he lives inside of us. And I love what Jesus tells us in verse 26. says the advocate, the expert, the Holy Spirit. He will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything that I've said to you. I love this. This is just incredibly practical. This is what the Holy Spirit begins to do in the life of a believer. In someone who looks at Jesus and you go, man, I believe Christ, that, that you're the hope of the world. I believe that you're the Savior. I believe that you paid for my sin. I believe that you're coming back. When Christ looks in our hearts and he sees faith, he gives us the Holy Spirit and this is what happens. The Holy Spirit begins to teach us all things. You know, there are so many things that we don't know about God. And this will be the story for the rest of our lives. But the beauty is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and it is his job to teach us about the character and the heart and the command and the faithfulness of God. I love the story that we see this coming true in Acts chapter 10. Peter, one of the 12 disciples, he's this Jewish Christian doing what people do in the first century. He was a good law practicing like commandment abiding Jewish Christian and so he had set hours of prayer at 9 a.m. and at noon and at 3 a.m. or 3 p.m. And, and, and he was in the middle of his afternoon prayer at 12 that he's praying in the top of this building and he gets this vision from God 
You can read about this in Acts chapter 10. He gets this vision from God and at the end of the vision, he hears the Holy Spirit whisper to him, Peter, when you get done praying, you're gonna hear someone knock on the door and there are gonna be three men standing outside the house. He said, go with them, I've sent them. Peter gets, this vision goes away. He gets done praying and all of a sudden he hears the, and he's like, wow. And he goes downstairs and he sees that there is not just one guy or two guys, there are three guys just like the Holy Spirit had just told him. And so he's kind of freaking out, like, I don't know what to do, but, but I know that God's working. And so he follows these three guys and he follows them into this guy's house named Cornelius. Now the Holy Spirit had been doing some cool work in Cornelius' heart. Cornelius was this Gentile. It means that he was this guy who, who wasn't a Jewish man. He, he didn't practice keeping the law, but he had this deep hunger in his heart to know God, to follow God. And so it's this amazing moment where Peter walks into this guy's house full of Gentiles, full of people that would have kept Peter from being able to, to be included in synagogue and temple would have kept him from, from being able to step in, into worship. And he steps in this house and he goes, oh my goodness. The Jews are not the only people that God accepts. And here's this man, Peter, who had walked with Jesus, had seen him walk on the water and raise the dead and heal the sick. And he didn't know everything there was to know about Jesus. You want to know why? Because he's not the expert. The Holy Spirit is, and the Holy Spirit lived inside of Peter. And because his heart was wide open to the things of God, he got to learn something new about God. And this is a story of a follower of Jesus Christ, that if our hearts remain open to the commands of God, to life with God, that he will always reveal himself to us that we'll find ourselves 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now learning things about God that we couldn't even begin to comprehend. It's not that he's just gonna teach us all things. He says that I'm gonna remind you of everything. It's the Holy Spirit's job to remind us of the things that God has already taught us. I don't know about you, but I don't have this like superb memory where I can just call to mind every passage of scripture that I've ever read or ever memorized. John chapter 2 verse 22 it's this beautiful moment it says that after Jesus was raised from the dead his disciples recalled what he said and then they believed the scripture in the words that Jesus had spoken so what that's saying is that there was a time where the apostles were gathered around Jesus when he was alive and he had done something. He had just turned water into wine and they didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand what had happened. And after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected and sent into heaven, after they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit, they look back on that moment and they go, that's what that means. And the Holy Spirit will remind us I love the way that God has done this in my life, how I put Finley to bed in the past few nights. He's been putting Psalm 23 on my heart. I remember hearing Psalm 23 at my grandmother's funeral back in 2000. And it was something about that passage that just stirred my heart. I remember hearing it at my, uh, my wife's grandmother's funeral. And so I just remembered, man, I need to like memorize this passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. He makes me lie down beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And this passage of scripture has been in the recesses of my heart for years and years and years. And as I was putting Finley to bed the other night, Psalm 23 pops to my heart as I was remembering that Jesus is my shepherd. Don't be surprised when you're driving home from work 
Don't be surprised when you wake up in the middle of the night or when you wake up in the morning or when you're taking a shower, or when you're playing with your kids or when you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table and a passage of scripture comes to your heart that makes you think about God because this is the work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life. That he refreshes us. He reminds us. He teaches us all things. But there's more. There's more here for us. The Holy Spirit is given to us so that we can live life for God, so that we can obey these commandments that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and guides us in moments of temptation. But he doesn't just live inside of us so that we can live for God. He lives inside of us so that we can live life with God. I love in verse 16, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the paraclete. I'm going to give you the expert. And he's going to be with you forever. This word forever in the Greek, it's a word aeon. And what he is saying here is that until the day that you stand in front of Jesus Christ and meet him, that your faith becomes sight, that you realize that, that all of this praying and all of this working and all the sacrificing and all of, uh, of you laying down your life for the goodness of Jesus, your faith will turn into sight. He says, until the moment you stand in front of Jesus Christ, I will be with you. Think about how this tells us so much about our God. That he loves us. That he actually wants to be around us. I remember my best friend growing up, his name was Greg. And we just loved like doing everything together. Playing football, playing baseball. We loved going to movies and playing video games. And my best friend. Greg's family was a going family. They are always doing something. Every weekend they were going skiing. They were going to St. Louis to watch Cardinals games. They were coming to, to Nashville to watch hockey games. They were, uh, they were going all over the place. And it was so amazing because every time that Greg's family would go somewhere, he would ask his parents, can Brandon come with me? When you love someone, you want to be around them. You want to be with them. And Jesus shows us the extent of how much he actually loves us. He says, I want to be with them. Think about how this is so crazy. Like, if I'm just being completely honest, I do not always want to be around my kids. Confession. I don't always want to be around my best friends. I don't always want to be around my coworkers. Sorry, Will. Sorry, Andrew. Yet Jesus always wants to be with us forever. He prays, Father, give them the Holy Spirit. Let our presence be with them. He loves us. He's not going anywhere. I love verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You know, it's such a strange thing for Jesus to be telling his apostles, like the, the realization of what is happening should have startled them. Like Jesus is leaving this man that had been providing for them and protecting them and teaching them. He is packing his bags and he is leaving and they should be anything but peaceful. But Jesus knows that the Holy Spirit will be in them. And then because the Holy Spirit is in them, they have nothing to worry about. I remember growing up, one of my best buddies, his name was Tyler Bogus. Julie knows him. And 
He's just this amazing, consistent man of God. And I remember like growing up, getting invited to parties or getting invited to go on road trips. And my parents, they would always let me go if they knew Tyler was going to be there. Because even though they didn't trust me, (laughs) they trusted Tyler. (laughs) And they knew that if he was there, I would be good. Jesus knows that the only posture that is... Christians we should have as one of peace because he knows who is with us. It's not that we're so good. It's not that we're so powerful. It's not that we're so holy. It's that the Holy Spirit inside of us is that good. The Holy Spirit who is God is more powerful than Satan. The Holy Spirit who is God that is completely perfect and holy the Holy Spirit who knows the commands of God and will lead us into further and deeper places of joy as we live out the commands of God. He is with us. And John 14 is about the Holy Spirit being a gift that allows you and I to live life with God, for God. This is where we're gonna end today. I wanna just read this verse in John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus says, anyone who loves me anyone not just church people not just people who've grown up knowing the commands of God not just people who have their lives figured out anyone who loves me will obey my teaching my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them the beginning of the Christian journey is the decision to live life with God and it's in our decision to live life with God where God commits to live life with us forever I want us to end this morning by doing something a little bit different I was convicted this week as I was thinking about how to wrap up that I didn't just need to stand up here and talk but that I need to like open up some space for like you to personally interact with God So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us through a time of of prayer. And uh, during this time of prayer, there's going to be some times where I'm going to ask for you to to interact a little bit. I'm going to ask for you to pray. And you can do that silently. You don't have to pray out loud. You can just kind of pray in in your mind, in your heart. There are going to be some times where I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I'm not going to have my eyes open. In fact, we're all going to have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. This is like a very real moment between you and God. And I think sometimes we, we hear something and God will stir our heart. We, we want more of God. We see something and, and then we leave this place and we just get into the routine of living. And I want to give us some space to let God work in our lives. And so I just want to invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to sit down. Close your eyes, bow your head. God, you are such an amazing God and Father. and You're so incredibly patient and loving that Christ died before any of us were even born. It means that before we were even a thought in our parents' minds, you prepared a way for us to be saved. 
to step out of a life of guilt and shame and fear, to step into your righteousness, into your holiness, into abundant life. If you're a follower of Jesus in the past season of your life, you've just had a, a special hunger for God that you've found so much joy in being obedient that you've just matured. Let me just invite you to raise your hand in this moment. There's no shame here. It's not you being prideful. This is, um, this is just true. If this is who you've been the past season, I want you to raise your hand. Everyone keep your eyes closed, your heads down. God, I'm really grateful for these men and, and women and what you've done in their lives. And I have no idea their stories and their struggles and their concerns, but I'm so grateful that you're stirring their heart for more of you. I pray that overwhelming peace and joy will flood into their lives. God, that they'll continue to be hungry for your holiness. God, I praise you for dying for them and for giving them that awareness, and I pray that you won't let the enemy steal any hope or any joy from their lives. You guys can put your hands down. With your Eyes closed and heads bowed. For those of you who are Christians, you just kind of look back on the past year of your life and you realize that although you are a Christian, you've not been living like it. Over the past months or weeks, you've just been running from God. Let me just invite you to close your, or raise your hand. Everyone keep your eyes closed. God, I want to pray very specifically for these men and women who just have the courage to raise their hand and be honest about where they are. God, you tell us that with you there is incredible mercy and grace and forgiveness. Um, God, I pray that in a very real way would you wash over them with the, uh, the forgiveness from heaven and let them know that, that they still have the Holy Spirit, that, that you still have great plans for them. God, I want to pray that... Um, that you'll give them courage to, to confess sin and to repent. and God, to, to seek the, the narrow path that you've invited us to live on. Don't let the enemy turn this conviction into condemnation. Um, let these men and women be full of so much joy in life because of your activity and theirs. You guys can put your hands down. If you're in this place this morning and you're not a Christian, you don't believe in Jesus, um, you don't love him, but you want to love him, you want to believe in him, um, will you raise your hand? Um, keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. God, none of us have any idea um, what is going on in the lives of our brothers and sisters and God, I'm so grateful that you keep bringing people here who are just curious about you. You tell us in Luke chapter 11 that anyone who asks receives, that anyone who seeks finds, that the one who has the courage to knock, the door will be opened. You tell us that we know how to give good gifts to our kids, but the Heavenly Father knows how to give the Holy Spirit to those who truly want Him. And so God, for these men and women who want you, who want life with you. God, I pray that you'll 
give them the courage to pray this prayer. God, help me to love you. Help me to believe in you. Help me to know with absolute certainty that you're alive and well. You can put your hands down. God, we really believe that, that you alone save us, that you're the one that is working in our lives, and so we just pray that, that you'll open our eyes to all that you have for us. You're an amazing God. May you shine your light in this place. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.